We're in Ruth chapter 3, the third of four studies, one chapter a week. So would you stand with your Bibles open or your, your gadget, widget, whatever you call it, with your Bible to Ruth chapter 3? We stand just in, to honor the Word of God as we know how important it is, and God places it very high on the priority list. And so we want to stand before Him as we read the Word. I'll pray. You can be seated, and we'll get into this chapter. I'm going to read the first five verses. So Ruth chapter 3. Trusting, redeeming love. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And Ruth said to Naomi, all that you say to me, I will do. So Lord, we thank you for your word, and particularly this little book that we're in right now. This story of redeeming love, the picture of marriage, the picture of relationships, the picture of how you, Lord, are working all the time, drawing us to yourself as our Redeemer. So I pray, pray, Lord, that you take these things that I've prepared, break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but it's not just hearing, Lord. We also know you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear in doing the things that you put on our hearts. So please move among us by your Holy Spirit. We trust you, Lord. We look to you. We ask now that you'd bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So there are those love songs that when we hear them, they can sweep us off our feet. Do you have a love song like that? But when it comes to the redeeming love of God, even the best love songs cannot fully express it. It's sort of that disparity in hearing these actual love song lyrics. Let me give you a few of them. I changed her oil. She changed my life. (laughs) Her teeth are stained, but her heart is pure. If you leave me, can I come too? How can I miss you when you won't go away? If you don't leave me alone, I'll find someone else who will. These are all actual lyrics. She made toothpicks out of the timber of my heart. Now, these are all country western in case you didn't catch on to that. And here's one. You're the reason our kids are ugly. (laughs) That's the disparity. (laughs) I love what J.V. He wrote, J.V. McGee, ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life, now again, Boaz is a picture of our Redeemer, Jesus. Ruth is a picture of us, his bride. Ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life, Naomi has been a different person, her mother-in-law. Her concern now is no longer for herself and her grief, but for Ruth and her future. It's when we serve others that we ourselves receive the greatest joy and satisfaction The martyred German minister Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Jesus the man for others, unquote. 1 John 3.16 puts it this way, But this we know, 
By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. He's the other. We read in 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And finally, Romans 5.8, one of my favorite verses, but God demonstrates, listen, his own love toward us. There's no love like his love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On our wedding program, we had this quote. Our lives are shaped by those who love us and by those who refuse to love us. God never refuses to love us. He loves us unconditionally. So the book of Ruth is an epic narrative that shows us that God is at work in the normal everyday events of life in loving people to wholeness and freedom. That's what he's doing. He's loving us to wholeness and to freedom. The main character is Ruth. She illustrates us as the bride of Christ, chosen by him. We'll look at that this morning. The hero of our story is Boaz. He is our kinsman redeemer. He's our Goel. He's a picture of Jesus Christ, who is really our hero. He's the kinsman redeemer. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, and then not only that, to take us as his bride. I'm looking forward to the marriage for the Lamb that's coming up. He, we are his, listen, beautiful bride. So, redeem means to purchase back or to rescue from captivity and bondage. So, this quote is from Billy Graham. God undertook the most dramatic rescue operation in cosmic history. He determined to save the human race from self-destruction, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to salvage and redeem them. The work of man's redemption was accomplished at the cross, unquote. So this picture is of the greatest love story ever told. It's the picture of God's redeeming love. As we read in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, he is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured what? The cross, despising its shame, and is sat down at the right hand of where? The throne of God. We read in Romans chapter, you know, many of you know this passage, for all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And finally, Colossians chapter 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, not what we're looking for, we have redemption now through his blood. What is that? The forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the bondage of our sin. Can I hear an amen? So there are three things we're going to go, just I'll give them all because they, they're sort of woven throughout really the whole book, but this chapter. Three things that I'd like to just keep as our main slide, and here they are. First of all, it's trusting a prompting. Verse 1. What does it mean, trusting, redeeming? It's trusting a prompting. Secondly, it's trusting a person. Who's the person? Our kinsman, redeemer. And third, it's trusting a promise keeper. Now, the whole, how many of you remember the promise keepers movement? Let me tell you who the promise keeper is. It's God. He is the promise keeper. And Boaz is going to make a promise to Ruth that he's going to keep. He's going to do everything he can. And so Jesus is God's great promise to us. And God is a promise keeper. What he says he will do, he does it. So trusting a prompting. Here in the story, it's the prompting of Naomi. Look at verse 1 again. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, 
Shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? So Naomi, in the story, she's been giving a lot of thought to what she's seen happening with Boaz in the fields and everything that, that Ruth brings home. And she believes now is the right time to do something about it. So as this love story continues, you get, the, you get this distinct impression that all the characters in the story know exactly what's going on. They're all thinking about it a little differently, but they know what's going on. And in fact, the potential outcome excites them. That's kind of when you watch a love story movie. That's what, okay, we, we, we're sort of trying to figure out. They're getting it. There's something going on here between Boaz and Ruth. Naomi sees it. She's been thinking a lot about it. She's thinking, now there's, let, let's see if we can do something about this. So Naomi knew and was prompting Ruth to pursue Boaz. Boaz knew what's going on. And what's he doing? He's paying close attention to Ruth and protecting her. And Naomi know, and Ruth knowing what's going on, or Naomi knew she's prompting Ruth, but Ruth knows what's going on. And as now in this chapter, her mother-in-law is prompting her, she is going to now pursue Boaz as, been, as has been prompted by her mother-in-law. So this is, a, again, a turning point in this story, the drama. So what's the prompting for? The purpose of it is for marriage. That's what she's saying. Should I not seek security for you? That security in the Hebrew means to rest. And it applies and implies the security of marriage. The benefit of marriage. Let me say this. Marriage should be the most secure relationship you ever have. There should be a security in marriage. A resting in marriage. A safety in marriage. Now some have called Naomi the matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Can you sing with me? Find me a find, catch me a catch. That was heavy in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. You, you, should we sing it together? I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's the security. If Ruth remained an unprotected widow in a foreign land, life could get very hard for her, especially after Naomi died. Shall I not seek security for you? Marriage, that's the purpose. So, if you desire to be married, and you are looking to being married, you're not yet. It's far more than making a, making a match, finding a find, catching a catch. Listen, marriage is a place where there's the deepest security is formed in vows, and it's a commitment of the whole person for the whole of life. That's marriage. Do I believe that God has one person for you? Absolutely, I believe that. Who is the person? It's the one that you choose to marry. That's the person. So please, <laughs> be very wise that you do not make the match and find the find and catch the catch in the wrong ways and in all the wrong places. It's that important. So Christian brother... You want to find a Ruth, a virtuous woman who fears and loves God. 
Christian sister. You want to find a Boaz, a man who stands in the strength of the Lord. How do you do that? This is what I say. Meet your Ruth or meet your Boaz serving the Lord. That's what they're doing before you ever meet them. Because if they're not serving the Lord when you meet, the statistics don't lie. They probably won't be serving the Lord when you're married. In other words, we, we must be serving the Lord not for someone else, but because we love him. He's, been the, he's now the priority in my life. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. Because if you are, it's going to be difficult. You want to find that virtuous woman. You want to find that godly man. Because, again, marriage requires a commitment of the whole person for the whole of life. And if we don't have the Lord, Mr. and Mrs. Dreamboat become Mr. and Mrs. Shipwreck over time. That's what happens. Naomi pointed Ruth solely to Boaz, the one she knew would give her that security, would give her that commitment, would give her that vow. It's interesting, four times in this chapter he's called the man. Verse 3, 8, 16, and 18. A proven godly character. Naomi pointed Ruth solely to Boaz. He's the man of godly commitment to be faithful, to do what he promised, to keep his vows, to be true to his word. Who is our prompter? It's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is God, the great and loving prompter. Now for the Christian... The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. For you who are a non-Christian, it's the same truth. The Holy Spirit always points you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the helper. He is the comforter. He is the convictor. He is the spirit of truth. He can be trusted. Listen. He can be trusted because he always points people to Jesus, not himself. He can be trusted because he always points into our heart. He always points into our hearts the love of God. He pours out in our hearts the love of God. He points us to Jesus and our relationship with that, that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ as the fountain of the love of God, the security of God, the assurance of God to our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. No wonder he's called the comforter. No wonder he's called the helper. No wonder he's the power of God given to us by which we can live out this relationship, this amazing relationship with our Redeemer. So he is the third person of God, but the Holy Spirit is the gift of God, listen, of God himself. Loving a fallen world back to himself. So for the non-Christian, for you who are not a Christian yet in your life, for you, the Holy Spirit is going to be convicting you of sin. 
Well, I don't want to be convicted of sin. Oh, yes, you do. Not to point out all the bad things about you, but to point out that sin requires a Savior. So the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, Jesus said, is going to convict the world, you are not a believer, of sin. Because why? You don't believe in Jesus. Not, well, you did this, this, this. He's going to point you to the need you have for a Savior so that you can be forgiven for your sin. And I say, yes. Ah, 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 the ah. Oh, okay, I get it. And I went through that. And if you're not a believer this morning, you're not a Christian, you haven't asked Christ Jesus to be your Savior then you're abiding in this place where you're guilty before God. You have sinned before God. You haven't lived a perfect life. You haven't thought a perfect thought. You've sinned against God, and the wage of sin is death. And so the only thing that you can do, or you can be saved one of two ways. You can either live a perfect life, and that's already failure. Or you can receive God's provision to Forgive you of all your sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit comes in your life. He's convicting you of sin. You need a Savior. He's convicting you of righteousness. Now it goes right along with the first. The righteousness you re, you, that would be required is a perfect life. You haven't lived a perfect life. Who did? Jesus did. So Jesus said, of right because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The only perfect life ever lived ever be accepted by God is Jesus Christ. And he went to, uh, to the cross to die, buried, rose again the third day, ascended to heaven to, to say with, very, with clarity, God has received him who paid the debt of your sin. And now if you will believe in him, you also will be imputed the righteousness of God. You will be declared right with God. Why? Because you did all these things? No, you did a lot of, well, you can do a lot of things. It's not going to get you to heaven. Only Christ can get you to heaven. The Holy Spirit also for you who have not a believer yet. He's going to convict you of judgment. Listen, judgment is coming. But Jesus already was judged for the sin of the world. The judgment that's coming is for those who reject God's provision. Instead of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan himself has been judged. There are no more excuses. God's removed all the excuses that you might have. Well, how come? Why can't? He's saying, no, I've taken care of all the problems of coming to me, including the devil himself. And now the freedom is there for you, but it's your choice. So the Holy Spirit, he's going to convict you of your need for Jesus. Now at the end of this, each service, we're going to give an opportunity called a Jesus call. We're not calling you to a stage, an altar, or a table. Jesus is calling you to himself. Now for the Christian, listen to these things, I mean, these are like massive studies all in themselves. But for the Christian, the Holy Spirit seals, seals us in our salvation, guaranteeing our redemption and our eternal inheritance. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God said, he's mine. Put his ownership on me. And that's why I say to God, I'm your problem now. He gifts us, empowers us, fills us, and comforts us. He guides us into all truth by teaching us all things, by reminding us of all things, and by telling us things that are to come. And time would fail to tell of the wonder of his presence. Now that, being redeemed, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in this temple called my body. You can't get any closer than that to God. 
And so how can I know the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Number one, he glorifies Jesus. He's going to be telling you all about Jesus. He's going to be bringing you to rethinking about Jesus, remembering Jesus. Secondly, he always says what the Word of God says. So if you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit, reading and studying your Bible is imperative if you're going to discern and know the truth. Three, the Holy Spirit always listens to everything that we think about. He knows those things. He knows what we're even thinking. And so, if we would know the prompting of the Holy Spirit, prayer is so important in tuning our thinking, in giving us peace, in removing anxiety so we have clarity of mind. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Prayer is imperative. And fourthly, he abides in the believer. Therefore, fellowship is a non-negotiable in helping us to stay the course. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as is the manner of some. We need the fellowship of those believers in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. So he abides in the believer. Therefore, fellowship is a non-negotiable, helping us to stay the course, steer clear of dangers, and turn around, repent as needed. For a counsel and encouragement, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be in fellowship with one another. So it's trusting, first of all, a prompting. Secondly, here, here's the center of the whole thing, trusting a person. And that person in this picture here is Boaz. Verse 2, Boaz, whose young women were, you were with, is he not our relative, our kinsman, a close relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Boaz is our relative, our relative and tonight, tonight's the night. <laughs> he's saying tonight he's at the winnowing floor. Tonight he's celebrating. Tonight the harvest. Tonight the winnowing. So Naomi begins to unveil now this I, thought, I think a well-thought-out plan of how can we do this? What should we do? And she's saying tonight is the time. It's a night of preparation. Notice, therefore, verse 3, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Prepare. Now, this is a really beautiful thing here. I am sure, even without Naomi's prompting, that Ruth, knowing what's going on, would have washed herself, anointed herself, and looked for her best dress. She wants to do all that she can to look beautiful on such an occasion as this. What's the occasion? It's like preparing for a wedding. And if you've been to a wedding, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've officiated a lot of weddings. You go to a wedding, and you know they spend like 10 more times preparing than the actual ceremony. In fact, probably more than that. Because it's a beautiful joining together, the, the, the love that's there and the desire. And so we, we want to do the best we can. We want to look the best we can. And that's what's going on for Ruth. To prepare as though we're on way. She's prepared because she cares. This is an important thing. She's going to this night there. Now, the interesting thing to me in this story is that Boaz never saw the preparation. 
He never saw her, actually. She came to him at midnight when it's dark. And when she came, here's what I, here, as far as Boaz, it didn't matter to Boaz. He already knew her heart. He knew her character, and he saw her conduct. He loved her already. So beautiful was she to him inside and out. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, when, you, when we've come to Christ, was not one of the most profound discoveries to realize he loved me even when I was in rags. When I had, when I was, <laughs> it's amazing, but, but that's the truth. He already loves us. He already loved us, knowing us, not in this, in this sort of reflection, but as sinners, but he loves us. And we find out that from him, it's amazing. Now, 1 Peter says this, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Notice it says, don't let it be merely outward. In other words, don't make the outward your only focus. That can leave an empty shell. Now, it is important that we pay some attention to the outward. Can I hear an amen? It's important that we're not letting ourselves go. That we're grooming ourselves. We're having good hygiene. It's all just, that's a good thing. An important thing. Our home would not be a home if we could not let down our hair. And that's the truth. But when we go out, or even at home, if I never care to clean myself up, or shape myself up, or tidy myself up, do I really care? If it no longer matters to me what I look like for Charlotte, my wife, do I really care about her? Now, having said that, I understand more than I'd like to say that the older I get, the more grace I need <laughs> for myself. <laughs> and that's why I still laugh when I heard J. Vernon McGee say, if the barn needs painting, paint it. My barn needs painting. <laughs> so, so then secondly, he says, tonight will be different. It's a night of invitation. So, and go down, verse 3 again, to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, I've been pondering this thing. Yesterday, even the permit, I'm asking a couple of what do you think of this? Here's what I've arrived at for now. He's, Naomi's saying to Ruth, you're not going down to reap. This is a different night. You're going down to make a request. You're going down with an invitation. So the beauty is here as well. Ruth would not be engaging with Boaz as she had when she came to glean the fields. 
When Boaz sat with her for meals, passed her the parched grain, provided for her, instructed the servants to help her, let some fall for her. And that's the relationship that they had. The whole way along, Boaz, in his relationship, was the father, and he called her the daughter, which speaks of the difference in age. And so, though Boaz was certainly attracted to everything about Ruth, he himself, as we'll see, did not consider that the relationship would ever be anything different. He'll be the owner of the field, and he'll help her out as often as he can. The beauty is this. Ruth could have come differently. She could have come to claim her right publicly. What a, what a time at this celebration. So everyone would see, everyone would hear. But she, that she expected Boaz to marry her, raise up a family, and continue the family name of Elimelech in Malon. But Naomi's saying, let's handle this differently. Though you have a right. So Ruth, listen, Ruth did not come as a victim to demand her rights. She came as a servant. She came trusting in his godly character. She came trusting in his goodness. She came trusting in him as a potential kinsman redeemer. She, though, would leave that decision up to him. She knew his heart. She's saying to Boaz, I put my future into your hands. I respect you. I honor you. I'll let you make the decision, but I'll let you make that privately. So you, if you decide you don't want to, I can accept that and it won't be shame to you. Now remember, he's not the first in line. So Naomi and Ruth would go about this secretly. And should Boaz choose not to perform the duty of the kinsman redeemer, he'd not be humiliated or ashamed. Tonight, she also says, verse 4, may be very special. It's a night of anticipation. Then it shall be, verse 4, when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Now note, Naomi tells Ruth, notice the place where he lies. Ruth, dear, please, don't go to the wrong guy. Make sure you got Boaz. It's like Jacob wakes up and, real, and finds out he married the wrong woman. That's not Rachel, that's Leah. Now, Adam had it easy. He woke up and found only one woman. It's Eve, and so it's a set deal, arranged marriage by God himself. He will tell you what you should do. In other words, the decision will be from his heart to you, and you'll find that out. And so tonight, then, she's, is really what it's saying is, Ruth, it's your decision. And Ruth said to verse 5, all that you say to me, I will do. It has been rightfully said, no one is ever argued into the kingdom. May I say to you, you never want to argue someone into marriage. But no one's ever argued into the kingdom. We point people to Jesus, but we can't pick Jesus for them. 
They must decide. And that's, it's their decision. We, we proclaim him. They must choose him. God does not offer a system. He doesn't offer a set of principles for redemption. What God offers is a redeemer. His name is Jesus. So she went, verse 6, down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed. Now, what's the threshing floor? The threshing floor is simply this flat area that's on top of a hill. could be a rock or a compacted, where they bring all the grain from the harvest, and then either an oxen or people trample it all out, and then they take it and throw it into the air, and the wind blows the chaff away, and all the grain falls to the ground and begins to pile up there. And so at night... To protect the grain from thieves, the men would all lie with their head to the, to the grain heap and their feet like spokes of a wheel sticking out. So that's the picture here on top of the threshing floor. And so after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now the fact that Boaz would be spending the night in the threshing floor is remarkable. Here's the owner, the boss, a servant. He was there not only to help them with the harvest, but he's there to protect it, lying with them, camping out. So this man, Boaz, is the real deal as a humble man. He's an approachable man. He's a man who loved to be with people. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So she goes around the circle, noticing he knew where Boaz was, goes to Boaz, she then pulled his covering over her and laid down. Now, to say there is something immodest about this is to be ignorant of at least three things, if not more. But three things. Number one, the character of Naomi, the character of Ruth, and the character of Boaz. Secondly, the crowd that was there during the harvest, as we'll see in a moment. And third, the culture and the law of God. What Ruth is doing is not immoral at all. This is a ceremonial way of putting herself in a place of submission. What's she doing? She's requesting his love and protection. Not as a poor reaper in his fields. Listen. But to become his wife. To come under his protection and his love. Beautiful. And so it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Now, that word is interesting in the Hebrew. It means his flesh became weak like a turnip. Now, I have no idea what that means because I don't know what it means to be weak as a turnip, but that's what it says. He was startled. She surprised him and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. So as she uncovered his feet, it was probably cold. So you could say he had cold feet. But this is good cold feet. And the cold probably is what woke him up, but something startled him like a turnip. He felt like a turnip laying there. Maybe that's what it meant. And he said, who are you? Now, the, gram the, the grammar here is a feminine pronoun. So he knew it was a woman. The question is, is it the right woman? Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, under your protection. We looked at this last week. For you are a close relative. I love this. Listen. 
He didn't see her, but he knew her voice. And with her voice, he knew her name. When we cry out to God, he knows our name. He knows our voice. And in this ceremonial act, Ruth is claiming Boaz as her near kinsman. An invitation if he would take her. The word goel, as we looked at 23 times in the book of Ruth, it means a close relative. It means to perform the duty or redeem. So what does this mean? This is called the Leveret Marriage Law. I want to read it with you together on Deuteronomy chapter 25. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her Take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to, we'll look at this next week more. There needs to, there, this is done willingly. If a man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elves and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. We'll look at this next week. But here's what Ruth is requesting of Boaz. To take her under his wing, his protection, his care, his security, and raise up that which was dead, the family name. To take her under his wing and redeem back that which was lost, the family property. And to take her under his wing and receive for himself she who he loved. To take her as his wife. So verse 10. Then he said blessed are you of the Lord my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. In that you did not go after young men. Whether poor or rich. So why did Ruth not wait for Boaz to propose to her? A couple reasons here. The first one which we'll get next week again. Out of respect for the other. Uh, the, the other one had the right of first refusal. He's respecting that. But then also, as it says there, he fully expected she would marry a young buck, a young guy, and that he really wasn't in the running. Now, in our youth, we think we know all about what love is and how it will be. It's like the young girl talking to her young friend. The young girl says, the man I marry must be brave as a lion, but not forward, handsome as Apollo, but not conceited, Wise as Solomon, but meek as a lamb. A man who's kind to every woman, but loves only me. To which the young boy replies, how lucky that we met. <laughs> you see, we come to find out how little we really know about what love is when we're young. Because the intimacy and depth of a love that is true requires two things. Number one, time, and with that, commitment. 
A depth of love that is true requires a commitment that no amount of time will ever be allowed to break. So the more longer we're together and the commitment remains, if we're continuing to seek to be who God's called us to be, the depth of love begins to go deeper and deeper and deeper. I take you, Charlotte, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. You have shown more kindness at the end. You were kind to me, tender, gentle, and my heart was drawn to you. This is what Boaz said. My heart was drawn to you, but it didn't end there. That's what he's saying. It didn't end there. Tonight's the night. I've watched. I've wondered. I've waited, and now I'm finding out maybe I win. Maybe. Joy unspeakable and full of glory for Boaz, for Ruth, for Naomi, and then it's going to be for a whole city. So it's trusting upon, and I'm going to sort of jog through these because we'll get these next week. But trusting a promise keeper. Notice, and now my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Look, you've not offended me or acted presumptuously. Everyone knows you're a virtuous. There's no question about it. You shine, Ruth. And so, no need to be afraid, but a possible problem. Now, it, now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. And he'd already thoroughly researched it, which is beautiful. He's looked into it. He knows exactly what it's going to require. And he's prepared, though it may never happen, but as far as Boaz is concerned, I'm going to make it happen if I can. That's love. This is, and then he says, verse 13, stay this night. In the morning it shall be that if, you, if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives Lie down until morning, so she lay at his feet until morning. She arose before one could recognize another. Then he said to his servants, do not, be, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing. So he continues to love her by acting responsibly for her. He did not send her home in the middle of the night. That would be very dangerous. He would not touch her until it was, rightfully, until it was his rightfully to do. And? He was respecting the rights of this other near kinsman. So he tells him, the servant, don't let anyone know what's going on here. And then he says, bring the, sh- bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And she went to that 60 pounds. I think Ruth could have carried 600 pounds. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, this is, there's these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed, listen, to your mother-in-law. What Boaz is saying is, thank you, Naomi. Wow, you had it right. You had a great plan. Thank you. And he's saying, tell Naomi, I'm so thankful for her. Then she said, sit still. And I think Ruth said, are you kidding me? I'm pacing tonight, man. I'm pacing. I'm not going to sit dumb. I'm waiting. Until you know how the matter will turn out for the man. I love it. 
will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Listen, Jesus did not rest until he finished the matter for us. Some of the best parts of a love story are when we have to wait. So I leave you with three scriptures and we'll pray. Not only that, but we also, Romans 8, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with it, eagerly waiting for what? The, the, the adoption, the redemption of our body. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for the perseverance. Listen, Jesus is not done yet. Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform again our lowly body and may conform to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things. So there is coming a marriage supper of the Lamb. He is going to prepare, he's preparing us for that. We eagerly wait for that, that glorious time. And finally, Hebrews, as it appointed for men to die once, but after this, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear. Listen, read. He will appear a second time. He's coming again. Literally, he's coming again. Apart from sin. That was the first coming for salvation. Father, we Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.